0: And now, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. You've Got to Start Somewhere, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of show business to prove there's no such thing as an overnight success. With your host, Rachel Corbett.
1: Welcome to the show. Today I am chatting with comedian, author, TV and radio presenter and a lady I have been wanting to cross paths with for a long, long time. It's Michelle Laurie. How are you? (laughs) Now, just a bit of behind the scenes, peel the curtain back on the wizard kind of gear. We have spent (laughs) the last 10 minutes in quite the fluster in the 40 degree Melbourne heat as I've been trying to work out why the audio isn't coming through on the Zoom. Turns out I hadn't turned the microphone on. So you can still have worked in this business for 16 years. (laughs) (laughs) and not realise that you actually have to press on on the microphone. I was very
0: relieved that's what it was. Great. (laughs) Me
1: too. I thought this was it. We'd finally gotten together and we were just going to have to can it before we'd even begun. I
0: can't believe we didn't cross paths in Gosford. Bizarre. Yeah, yeah. You and I both... I, I kind of started my radio career there. Was that where you started? Like fill-ins beforehand, bits and pieces. Yeah, I had one, uh, one job before that, but that was the sort of start of the longer term yes. brecky gigs. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And um, you were at 2GO, was it? Which one were you? CFM. C-F-M and I was at Star FM. And we yes. started, I think, around the same time. Yeah. But I don't know But you. are so tired. I just never went anywhere. I did anything. I was so miserable. Yeah, I can't even same. begin to
1: tell you. Yeah, I ended up having to give up that job because I just said, unless you, like I'm hanging it together and I was working with Patty Gerard, a delightful guy who was just a gem of a human and lovely to sit across yeah. from. So it was one of those situations where, you know, doing this job, if you're sitting across from somebody yep. you care about and you love, you're like, man, this is shit, but we've got each other for same. three hours. Same, I had
0: Todd Whitaker. Yes. same, beautiful Yes, so it's man.
1: totally fine. But at the same time, I was realising in the hours outside of the studio, I was yeah. I was like, So it just wasn't good for the old uh, mental health. No, it wasn't. But um, I want to go right back to the Mm. beginning. And this whole media thing, comedy, TV, radio, was this something as a little squirt that you dreamt about doing or was this something you kind of fell into?
0: No, always wanted to do it. From what age? For as long as I can remember. um, Wanted to be a performer. Not necessarily, I didn't think about radio necessarily, but yeah, I wanted to be a performer. I wanted to be a creative person. So... Um, Was there any particular reason for that, do you think? No. No. And I'm one of those people from a family where there's no one else like me. Uh, No ancestors in show business or anything Mm. like that. So, no, I don't know why. I just, uh, that was my reaction to watching TV and taking in media. was thinking, oh, I want to do that. I want to Mm. be one of those people.
1: When did you first sort of realise, did you realise when you were little, oh, I think I'm a bit of a performing kid or were you a performing kid? No.
0: Oh, really? No. No, I would have been teenage,
1: definitely. Before you even started to do anything yeah. on stage or even think about
0: it, yeah. w- was there any particular catalyst for that? No, I think I just learned, it was just high school. It was just learning how to navigate high school and learning that being funny and being fun and being friendly was a great way to get through high school. Mm. Made lots of friends and, you know, just just made life easier for myself by was, being that it was, person.
1: It was my parents' divorce that really pushed me into Was in.
0: it? Yeah. So calm. I don't. I I've, I've just felt
1: at that time that I just wanted the dizzying highs of something, and it felt very dangerous to get on stage
0: and do those kind yeah, of things. Wonderful. So
1: that's sort of where it stemmed from oh, for what a me. a great
0: reaction to that, though. Yeah. <laughs> What yes. a positive reaction because it could have been methamphetamine. Well, it could have so, been. It could have been. I could have been you. in a gutter. Yeah. Um, did you ever think about
1: anything else when you finished school and thought, oh, I'll go to uni and do that? and Or was it just like, nope. I am single-minded
0: in my focus? Yes, always have been single-minded in the focus. Yes. And so what were you
1: doing to get there? Did, were you doing drama and stuff at uni and then when you ste- – oh, sorry, at school and then when you
0: stepped out of school, you literally leapt straight into it? We didn't have drama at my school. I went to a Catholic girls' school. We had – art. That was it. And we had a great art teacher in a beautiful art room. Mm. So I would spend a lot of my time in there. I would skip classes and go there when it was empty. I knew the timetable of the room. <laughs> so I knew where the room was empty <laughs> Yeah, and I'd slide in. And then yes, after that, I went to uni to do drama just because I really didn't know where else to start. I was in Toowoomba. I didn't know anybody who was a performer, never met anyone. So yeah, I didn't know where to start. So I started there. And when you did it, did you think... Oh yeah, I'm right. This yeah, is where Yeah, I, I did. I, like I remember the first day thinking, oh, these are my people. Wow. I've never met you before and, and there's heaps of you and here we are. And it was wonderful. And so at that stage, did you
1: have an idea about I want to be an actor, I want to do... Did you have any idea of where you
0: wanted to go? Um, I think I probably wanted to be an actor. I think I just wanted to live an interesting life. Hmm. Uh, I never thought I'd be a singer or a pop star or anything like that. But I think I wanted to be an actor and writer Bon vivant, travel mm-hmm. the world, just wanted to have an interesting life. That's all I was after.
1: So where did the comedy thing spring from? Because that's a kind of scary
0: thing to yeah. want to get into. I was a big comedy fan, and I know a lot of us were. A lot of comedians will say that they were addicted to watching comedy. So in that way, you pick up a lot of the nuance, I mm. think, subconsciously. You pick up a lot of the the rhythms, the yeah. equations. Yeah,
1: the anatomy of the joke yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: So uh, I thought Wendy Harmer was... Just the most powerful woman I could think of. And, and again, that was that was not conscious. Uh, those aren't the words I'd have used at the time, but I just remember seeing her being ringmaster on the big gig and being clearly the boss of mm. that situation and uh, so powerful. So then there was a competition in Brisbane. I was working in community radio actually, Saturday night shift with my friends and you could just choose your own music and yeah. all that. Community radio
1: is great for people who want to get into the yeah, business. Yeah, it
0: really is. Triple Z and yeah. it was a really fun time. Um, Powderfinger was starting out and regurgitator and uh, so they were always hanging around and um, it was great. And this guy approached me about advertising the competition that he was running and then said to me, you should have a go. And oh, I wow. did just, I thought, just to say I have, because I love stand up, I'll have a go. How did you go with that first gig? Like, yeah, did great. you... great. Really? And oh, that's again a common story among yeah. comedians. I don't know what it is. Second gig, shit out. Yeah. But first gig, <laughs> yeah. for some reason, great. And um, maybe it's just the relief of it is so such a great feeling. Yeah. And then you're bitten and then you live through the second and the third and however many gigs it takes to have a great gig again, you, you
1: know? You probably need that first one to be really killer to yeah. actually make you keep chasing that high because if it's rubbish, there's nothing worse than going out and doing a bad gig no. on stage and you just wouldn't ever want to go back into no. for that feeling again. But if you felt it the first time, you're like, I know it's there. Yes, I, I know can I it. can do it. I yeah. just need to
0: find that again. There's, there's This was all in Brisbane, by the way. And the first gig, there was a heckler and I dealt with him. That was how I got the laughs and got the excitement going in the room. So that was a good feeling too.
1: Did you ever have nerves with it or did you just get out there and feel confident and like comfortable, this is where I should be?
0: I did. I felt confident, but I still... When there was a reason to be nervous, I was nervous. My first gigs in Melbourne, I was nervous. It mm. took me uh, a couple of weeks to get my rhythm back when I moved to Melbourne because that was a very big deal to me. So, mm. um, the, I've seen a, a lot of interviews with you and things where
1: Melbourne was a big thing for you yeah. when you were younger. What was it about Melbourne that was so huge? I
0: think it was a couple of things. My uncle Frank, who lived with us by that stage when I was a kid, and he was sick, he had, he had like... Heart transplants and dialysis and all the sorts of stuff. But he had lived a really exciting youth. And he had moved away from Queensland and moved to Melbourne. And so he had lots of great stories about Melbourne in like the 30s and the 40s. Wow. Really cool stories. And then I became obsessed with the movie Dogs in Space. Oh, gosh. Do you know that movie? I've never seen it. Oh, my God. I've heard of it, but I've never seen I, so it. So I was about like 13 or 14 and I watched it at least twice a day. At least. Wow at least twice a day for about two years. And even now, just recently, I went back to the soundtrack. Just So it, it's like the biggest influence in my life. I love those things in yeah. kids'
1: lives when there's like a level of obsession yeah. that's like bordering on nuts, but you just yeah. – there's nothing better than seeing somebody – no matter how ridiculous the obsession is, just
0: really flipping into oh something. Oh, my God. So into it. Yeah. Still love it. So, because I was a Michael Hutchins fan. So, I was living in Toowoomba in Queensland, very regional. My parents very, um, just, you know, just nice, good, peaceful people. And I became obsessed with this junkie culture in Melbourne. And I wanted to be part of that.
1: Yeah, right. I wanted
0: to bleach my hair, take lots of drugs, have a boyfriend who took lots of drugs, <laughs> And whirl around in Melbourne and, um, be part of a crowd like that.
1: So what, what age were you when you did that first gig in the competition? 20. So you were 20. Mm. And then what was the process of getting down to Melbourne?
0: I moved to Melbourne 10 months later. Wow. So you just
1: packed up your bag and thought, I'm going to give this a crack and find my way. I
0: did. That is awesome. Yeah.
1: And scary. Yep. But it's also like, I guess it's a good lesson because part of this sort of show, starting this out, was I was teaching a lot of people about radio and I wanted, I kept getting asked, like, how do you do it? And the answers that people, kept wanting I saw would they wanted five minute responses by to how do you get on television and it's like and there's a common thread through everybody I've spoken to and that is a tenacity and like a risk-taking and also oh I was doing community radio at the ripe old age of whatever because I just wanted to do it just actually working and trying to make destiny happen by you know putting in the work to
0: get there so when but that's you- why I and a lot of other performers don't like and don't respect those talent shows because mm. they've created this idea that you don't do any of that. You mm. don't need any of that. That's a mugs game. You just need that one moment. You need to get through on one TV show and then you'll get a career. And the thing about that is that people can then end up very much out of their depth it's like pregnancy. It's like, there is a reason it takes nine months. You need that time to get your head around it to yeah. get started, you know? Yeah. So TV and radio and all that stuff, there's a reason it takes a long time. Cause you're gaining the skills and the confidence and the understanding to be ready when mm. it happens. There's also no, it's not like once you get on television, well,
1: God, knows. There it is. The highs and lows continue right through. And I always say this business, it's like the only business where you can go from CEO to toilet cleaner (laughs) in 24 hours, you know, and particularly you see that a lot in like breakfast radio. I've had some jobs where I've been, you you know, you're treated brilliantly when you're in the breakfast team and then the show's ended and you can't even get the boss to return your calls the next day. And you're like, I'm still the same person. Yeah. Oh, that sort of whole relationship we had was okay when – I was at the top of the tree, but now yeah. we can't have that same relationship. Yeah. and so all that
0: belief you had in me and you kept telling me how talented I oh, am. I've always rooted for you. Yeah, but now <laughs> yeah. you're not returning my calls. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. How did you feel when you, you got down to Melbourne? Were you just going on the gig circuit and giving mm-hmm. stuff a crack? So did you literally just
0: look at where the comedy – clubs were and go and put your name down and go and do that yeah got the street press the first two weeks i was in melbourne i stayed with julia morris this is what a generous person she is how did you know her she came up to brisbane to do gigs i supported her in brisbane we got along and she's such a generous person she said to me you got to get out of here i go i know i really want to come to melbourne she said i'm about to move to melbourne to do full frontal she was in sydney come and stay with me while you're getting your shit together so, so this was before her, she was Julia Morris? Yeah, well, she was just going into full frontal. So oh, wow. at the time she was, and still is, I think, the best stand-up in Australia. Oh, she's so good. She was amazing. She was mind-blowing. And uh, again, so powerful, uh, but she wasn't famous yet. But, oh my God, her master of the art form. So yeah, I stayed with her for two weeks and she and we lied on all my application forms for rentals and she pretended to be everyone from my employer to my mother to everybody <laughs> so that I could get a flat. And St Kilda and I did, yeah. And then I just sat down with the street mags, found the gigs, uh, landlines in those days, sat on the phone, ringing up, getting answering machines. Hello, I'm a comedian from Brisbane. Can I come and have a gig, please? And then I would go to St Kilda Library. I was so poor. And I would photocopy, or if I was really poor, tear out <laughs> a page from the Melways at the library because I couldn't afford oh. to buy one. And And I would use those, piece them together to get to gigs on public transport. Wow! Yeah, I know it's like it's 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 almost walking through the snow in no shoes, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. it is. (laughs) I love those stories
1: too of the early friendships with people who are now big names. Yeah, but that when before that all happens, I think this business can be a bit tough sometimes to. Especially later on in your career, if you haven't started out with people to build those friendships, because it's kind of a it's kind of a mishmash of interesting people, and it mm. takes you a while, I feel, to find people where you're like, okay, I connect with you. You're a real person. We're going to be friends. We're fine. In those early yeah. days, it can be very difficult to navigate who wants who. What's the are we in a real relationship? Are you just out to push me under the bus for yeah. something? So having those early friendships that actually last across the years, that when you get to a point where you're quite successful in your career, at least from the outside, the people that you're working with are people that you've been through all of the sort of ups and downs and and the grind of. Because when you started out, that was sort of, we're talking Will Anderson, Corinne Grant, Rove, Julia, obviously, like a whole... Yeah, Eric American
0: Rosso, Kitty Flanagan. I remember the first time. So I went to Sydney before I moved to Melbourne. I went to Sydney to visit Julia. She said, come to Sydney and do a weekend of gigs. She took me backstage at the comedy store where she was resident MC and she introduced me to this beautiful girl called Kitty Flanagan. I was just like, oh my God, you're so pretty. <laughs> you just... I just couldn't believe. Really, she's so pretty. She's really nervous, you know, and Kitty still is always kind of talking herself down a bit, but she was brilliant. And then behind her was this little funny looking man pacing back and forth, pacing back and forth. And they went, oh, that's just Carl. It was Carl Barron. And he'd done a handful of gigs and he was really nervous. And they were both kind of talking themselves down. And they both got on stage and they were brilliant. But stand-up has a very much tighter friend-making process, mm. I think. We just you, – you end up – when you're coming up in the beginning, you end up doing gigs with the same people every yeah. night so there's also a lot of hanging around tons of hanging yeah. around and in our day we're all on the dole as well mm. so we didn't have jobs we treated stand up like a job so you'd 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 hang around all afternoon sleep all morning obviously yeah but hang around all afternoon talking about comedy yeah and then you go and do gigs and you'd hang out all night and yeah so it's a very bonding process and then you get to watch people do go ahead of you like i remember when rove got on tv and then it occurred to me, oh, but now you've got to stay on TV. Up until then, I thought getting on TV was the point. Mm. <laughs> and then suddenly you realise, oh, no, you've no. got to stay on TV. <laughs> yeah. I get it.
1: But yeah. is that, I mean, obviously it's lovely to have that supportive friendship group, but I guess I don't know whether that's a weird situation that pretty much everybody during that period has gone on to be the stars that we know today. But there, there must also be a bit of difficulty in that relationship because yes you're all supportive but you're also watching these friends of yours go peow,
0: yeah. peow, like and go and do things that you're like but I want to do that too oh, totally that's a different it's a difficult patch mm. <laughs> <Definitely> a difficult <laughs> patch. It's a little tough it's a tough patch <laughs> and um I remember saying to Marty Sheargold one day oh god you know I am just in such a great place like I am just beyond feeling threatened by anyone anymore I'm just genuinely happy for everybody and he said mate It's really easy to have that perspective when you're successful. Yes. (laughs) When you're also doing well. Yes. He was like, you know what? If we weren't in this situation, I'm sure we'd still be jealous, terrified, threatened. Yeah. Yeah. So... when you're at that beginning stage
1: too and you're not 150% confident. I mean, yeah. God, I don't think if anybody anybody ever gets to the point where you're like, I have got this down. No. But in those really early days, you're constantly trying to prove yourself. Yeah. So, and,
0: of course, other people get jobs and you think, I should have that job. Yeah. They're not right for that job. Um, yeah, all of that horrible stuff. But then we're all in our 40s now, mid-40s. So I, th- I think we've grown out of it. I hope so. Everyone now seems to – and also everyone now sort of moved off into – much more personal tangents we're not all doing the same things anymore we don't want to do the same things anymore so it's interesting and fun to watch will's career because i don't want his career mm. i don't want rove's career anymore mm. you know well you
1: end up working out exactly that that everybody's suited to what they're suited to yeah. so you couldn't do what rove does just like rove couldn't do what you do yeah. and the same with will and all of you know it's sort of everybody is the best at what they're going to be the best at. And it takes a little while to realise that it's not a zero-sum game, that there is enough pie for everybody and that everybody's individual skills are going to lead them on the path to where they go. But in those early years, when you just want to get in the door. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I was one of the last in the door, I reckon. I'm sure there are other people who'd say I wasn't. But I certainly thought, oh, I've missed out. How am I the person who missed out? That's crazy. I Mm. shouldn't be the person who doesn't. Get a career, you and know. And how so. long between thinking that
1: and actually getting in the door was it?
0: Uh, well, I mean, it was really slow for me because I, you know, used to be really jealous that Husey got the radio gig in Melbourne straight away. I went to Gosford, Brisbane, <laughs> you know, yeah. for many years and then Melbourne. So I was pretty bitter about that for a long time. I was up there thinking, when, when do I get to the big leagues, mm. you know? Mm. Uh, so it, I think, I don't know, it's hard to say when I got in the door because I don't, th- think that was it
1: you I, didn't feel you were in the door when no, you were in Gosford or you didn't feel like you were in the door until you got to Melbourne
0: yeah I used to say I felt unsuccessful when I was number one breakfast radio in Brisbane for about eight years that felt unsuccessful mm. I felt more successful when I was living in a flat in St Kilda doing good stand-up gigs that people right. liked. you know because I was in the game
1: yeah the real
0: game yeah
1: How do you feel about, I mean, now you get to a point where you're like, oh, I got here. I did it. So it's much easier to sort of look back and go, well, everything happens for a reason. It's fine. (laughs) But, you know, at the time, obviously, that was a source of frustration for you. How how do you feel about that looking back on on you at that time?
0: I mean, it's boring, but I do think everything happens. Not necessarily for a reason, but I am able to turn it into a positive. Mm. That's when I um, got deeply into Buddhism for one thing, because my attitude was so bad Mm. (laughs) and I was just being such a misery guts. And I thought, I don't want to be this person. So I started taking Buddhism very seriously. And then I kind of had that and, and my attitude improved and suddenly I was okay about being in Brisbane and everything was okay. And wouldn't you know it, then I got to come to Melbourne. So I'm not saying the two are connected, but I'm glad that I had the opportunity to invest in Buddhism when I was there because that's given me tools now that I use all the time.
1: Well, I think the most one of the most important things that you can sort of realise is that this career, like nothing is in your control apart from how you approach the gigs that are in front of you. So it's like, okay, I can either see this as a great learning opportunity, explore this, be happy to work on this career because – I mean, the decisions that people make in this business, no logic.
0: No. No, no, You know, it's yeah. like,
1: oh, you're number one. That doesn't make you safe. Or, oh, you, the audience yeah. loves you. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. Yeah. Oh, you're brilliant at your job. Whoop. That doesn't mean a thing. Yeah. You know, so it's like sometimes you just need to find whatever it is for you that you can hold on to because otherwise you just seem bloody set adrift half the yeah. time. <laughs> and I
0: think that's why I've, I always do have lots of things going on at once. Yes. I learnt that young in stand up because then when one thing falls over, I just go boom. Okay, I'll just focus on that thing then, and I've always got something to feel good about.
1: Yes. Have you you had times? uh, Because I I certainly had one specifically fairly bad moment where I was literally. I mean, I would have gone in and done the cleaning. My contract ended, and I would. I was just begging them for anything because I'd saved no money. I had nothing else. I was just like, and I've never felt more pathetic in my life. And I remember when I ended up getting a contract, I thought to myself. I will never feel that way again, like I've managed to get out of the woods. Did you have any of those specifically big moments like that or were you just clever in knowing that you had to have a lot of fires on from the beginning?
0: Yeah, I think I probably had that moment really early on though, really Mm. early on in stand-up because you go through that early period too where exciting things pop up a lot and then they fall over a lot as well. So, you know, this week I'm thinking I am about to be signed up as an actor on that sketch show. Yeah. So this is fine. And then they don't. They sign someone else. So suddenly I'm nothing again. Yeah. You know, I've gone from up and coming. Okay, I'm on the ladder to back to nothing. So, yeah, I think I learned that early Mm. just to have always have something else. Did you ever
1: feel at points like this is never going to happen for me? Yeah,
0: I gave up for a while for about. Uh, maybe a year. And that's when I started working as a receptionist in brothels. Ah, that's yeah. when it popped in. So how old late were 90s. you then? Uh, I was like late, uh, mid to late 20s. Was that – because I hear
1: a story like that and I go, I can imagine doing that because I'm a bandit for a story you know anywhere where I think oh my gosh this is a microcosm of life I'd never get yeah. access to this will be fascinating for me I'm sure I'll meet fascinating people with interesting backstories and like why are you here and what can I yeah. find out
0: was that part of the reason or it was just like you saw and had in the baby you're <laughs> like I'll do that bit of both bit of both I I it was a f- uh, lady who lived in the flat upstairs from me and I, I she knew I was broke mm. and she said I'm I'm receptioning a brothel do you want to come and try it and Of course, I thought, that's amazing. Mm. Yes, please, I would love to. And it was a a transsexual brothel. Wow. Yeah, it was just wonderful. Just the most wonderful experience. And uh, yeah, so I did take a break. And then a comedy Svengali, who has since passed away, Dave Taranto, left a message on my machine one day and said, hey, um, you know, do you want to come back and do a gig? And that was a big deal in the industry for him to kind of invite you to do the gig. And I thought, yeah, I should do that. Again, just needed attitude adjustment. It's all attitude. It was never... Never anything else but
1: attitude. It's also a good thing sometimes to take your eye off the ball mm. and just go and do something else so you're not waiting for the phone to yeah. ring. Yeah. Because then the phone rings and you're like, oh, gosh, the phone's
0: ringing. I know. It not... was... Why Wait, the phone ring? Exactly. Why isn't Taranto <laughs> ringing me? Yeah. And then I wrote a show about that. So I guess, yes, in that classic way, yeah, I did write a show about that. And it went to the opera house and it went and to the And it Edinburgh. did really well. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And so was that a
1: turning point after that show, did people start to go, Oh, this yeah. this girl should be could be something? Yeah. Is that a bit of a turning so. point? Yeah. It's interesting how that stuff happens and you go, Oh, it was supposed to roll out the yeah. way
0: that it did. Yeah, it that's a, it, it it when you look back you go, Oh yeah, you know, I turned it into a positive. I made something out of it. But the key is just keep working. Mm. I mean there's no other secret is there? It's no. just no one can stop you working. Like they can sack you. They can stop paying you, but no one can actually stop you creating. Yes. So that's why podcasting's great mm. for me. Writing's great for me. All of these things that I don't need a boss to allow me to do. Mm.
1: And everybody sees the sort of, you know, hour on the project on a Friday or the big show here or this opportunity there or the radio show, but they don't see the hours mm-hmm. of chip. chipping away in the background, (laughs) you know, so it's really easy to think that things just come out of nowhere, but it's that constant momentum that allows you to have those opportunities. And I think with stuff like podcasting and, you know, writing for yourself, like anything in this business that you can have where you're like, this is me showing that I can do something on my own. You know, I don't need somebody to sit down and go, yes, we think you're worth it. Yes. We think we want to take a chance on you. It's like, I'm using the skills that I've amassed and I'm creating something and I've done
0: it on my own terms. And it's a good feeling. As well to be very clear about the fact that it's on my terms and it's my judgment calls and it's my taste and it's my idea because, you know, so often in radio, no matter how many runs you get on the board, still someone will kind of, you know, second guess your judgment Mm. and, um, or, you make huge judgment calls, and you know that no one will ever know you were the person who made that decision and you bullied the network into doing that thing mm. that is now hugely successful because mm. they're never going to turn around and say, Actually, that was Michelle Laurie's <laughs> idea because I wanted to sack those two guys. And she was the one who said, Tell you what, if you don't give us National Drive, I'm going to Austereo. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And then it turns into a big success story that everyone's like, Oh, wow, that guy in Sydney's a genius. Okay. <laughs> Sure.
1: Yeah, sure. Okay. Oh, yeah.
0: There's a lot of there's a lot of geniuses that oh, have taken yeah. responsibility
1: for decisions that weren't there. I wish
0: I'd kept some text messages.
1: <laughs> yeah. How do you feel like the the industry's changed since, say, those early days when you guys started out and you're in comedy? And do, do you do you think it's changed for the better, or do you think it's like, would you be a bit scared to try and be getting into it now?
0: Oh, I wouldn't be scared. I'm not really. Waleed has this great joke about how. <sighs> On the project, I didn't notice i did do it. Oftentimes I go, oh, I'm just just a bit scared about something or other. And he always says to me in the ads, no, you're not. You're not scared of anything. Why do you keep saying? I go, I don't know. It's just a way of keeping the conversation going. I don't know. But yes, I'm not really a fearful person. I wouldn't be scared of it. But there are different rules and I've been talking to a lot of young comedians lately for another podcast and I mean, I'm like, whoa, you guys are worried about a lot of stuff that I have never worried about. And they throw the like the expression POC into conversation. It's POC. People of color. What? People of color. Yeah. And so that's great. But I mean, f- for them, that's a real you know like it's they're very analytical and they're saying things to me like you know obviously you know when POC get on stage they they might um, feel that they need to establish this or that and I'm thinking wow okay. So they're
1: thinking about it a lot more than you guys did.
0: Yeah, and they're woke. So that right. brings with it a whole lot of rules and regulations and yep. it's great but I do see them worried about a lot of things that we oh, weren't you can't worried get away about with anything now. No you can't yeah. and I and that's fine I get that but there's just so much more analysis and conversation about everything I think now.
1: And there's no privacy in the room at the comedy club. No. You know, it's not what goes on in here stays in here. It's like, oh, that bit of audio of the distasteful joke that I was saying in the moment. And sometimes, sure, those things can be like, oh, you shouldn't have said that at all. But sometimes in this outrage culture, it's like, actually, that wasn't that bad, but we're all stacks oning, and this guy's career or this girl's career is ruined for however many months this is going to go on. And it should have been left in the So I feel like they're...
0: Um, being very careful to be able to defend everything before they say it on stage, you know, which yes. we, we didn't feel the need to do. We, we were very free artistically. Um, my generation came in just after Greg Fleet, Judith Lucy, Anthony Morgan, Sue Ann Post. These people were talking about drug, sex, rock and roll, living it. And so they were our role models. So we came along wanting to be as hardcore as them, if anything. But now uh, everyone's very corporate. Everyone's kind of talking about merch and everyone's preparing their argument for their comedy. Yeah. You know?
1: Did you guys feel like when you were back there that there was a sort of, okay, I get on stage, then I work up my brand, then I get on TV? Cause no. I think that's Yeah, because I think that's the way that it goes now. Yeah. There's a very big thought about the business of it.
0: Because I feel like we not invented that, but... You were the start of it. Yeah, yeah. our generation was the start of that. So no yeah. one was on TV. Or the radio talent No, comedians weren't on radio Like there was the odd one, Richard Stubbs was on radio Mm. The odd person, people did spots on TV shows But yes, we, Rove became the stand-up who became the Tonight Show host Will became the stand-up who became the Breakfast Radio Same with Husey Mm. So yeah, we didn't have that to aspire to We didn't know that was possible
1: now it's like I'm doing raw comedy so I can host the breakfast show in yes, Sydney one yeah.
0: day. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, yeah. Oh goodness.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is a bit of a shock. oh, I mean I get it, but you know, you do have to still work on the craft and I hope they have Time to enjoy it because my God, my twenties as a comedian were just awesome. Mm. Just such a great lifestyle for a young person. I mean, well, if you're
1: just floating around and you're, and also you're with creative, funny yes. people, where you're having funny conversations, yeah. where you're all in the business of making people laugh, yeah. and that's sort of a really cool environment to be it's in. Such,
0: it was a really good time in life. Yeah. What,
1: what about when you were doing stuff on Rove? That was, I mean, that was such a huge show. Yeah. Was that a game changer for you in terms of profile and things? Yeah. Or?
0: Yeah, yeah, it definitely was, and I was still living in Brisbane, so it was a game changer for me psychologically. It made me feel like I was back in the real game. Mm-hmm. It was a very big deal for me psychologically, and I was very grateful for it. And Craig Campbell, who is the executive producer of the project, yes, I mean he's he was executive producer on that show, and he's been employing me since I was twenty he, on in Melbourne tonight. So again, it was the same crew, same travelling circus, same faces. So it was really great to be included in that. Uh, process. Yeah, it was great.
1: What about the radio thing? You've been doing radio for a lot of years, and obviously, the Central Coast was the first commercial radio yep.
0: gig. Oh, well, filling in for Kate Lanebrook, oh, really, because no. she was pregnant this one golden year for me. She got pregnant with her first baby. And then being Kate, she went to Vegas with girlfriends and came home on the SARS flight, the Qantas oh, SARS <laughs> flight. <laughs> so she had to be quarantined for two weeks. Then she got married and went on a honeymoon. So I was just there all the time. It was wonderful. So was that with Husey, Dave and Kate? Yeah, so Husey and Dave
1: just taught me how to do radio. Were they – this is so interesting because they were the first people I ever got in a studio with yeah, to great. do a trial with – but this was like five seconds before they went from Triple M to. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this was at Triple M. Were you working with them at Nova? Yeah. Right, yeah, because they, we literally went into the studio, I think, I don't know whether Kate was going to leave or she was away or maybe they thought she was going to die of SARS. Who knew? (laughs) Um, But, yeah, we did like something and then I think a week later the boss rang and said, oh, they've just told us that they're actually going to Nova
0: so let's just forget about that whole process. But that's interesting because not
1: that it went anywhere with me but that's an interesting But They taught me how
0: to do it. And I knew them from stand-up obviously so they just, yeah, threw me a bone. They were delightful. They like, are delightful. Yeah, they and remain delightful. And I think actually, sometimes I think there was a bit of a vibe at that time that, you know what, Michelle deserves a break. I mean, comedy is very much, can be very much about that, about the justice. Mm. Um, they're, they're, you know, people, as much as people can be bitchy about people they don't think deserve a break, they can be very supportive when they think, you know, you deserve a break, kiddo. You've been around the block. Mm. You worked hard. You do good gigs. Why aren't you on these shows? So, Husey and Dave O'Neill and Merrick and Rosso were instrumental in my being employed by Nova. The four of them really pushed management to, to get me employed. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And w- so was that
1: just getting you as a guest on their shows? Initial, yeah, initially, yeah, initially.
0: And then uh, the Gosford job was with the same network. So yes. that was the first job I got with the Nova Network. Yeah. Right. And, and then, then that was
1: obviously like Brisbane came out of She's Got On Radio in Gosford. Yeah. And um, it, it's it's actually really nice that sort of helping each other up thing. Yeah. But I think you're right there. Everybody's very generous. Absolutely. But they're generous When they can see, oh, you're somebody who does the work, who's committed to the craft and who actually wants to put in the time and get better. You're not just somebody who's sitting in here and goes, I just want to be on telly or I just want to be on the radio. And there's a lot of people that come through like that. And it's sort of an attitude. I don't know whether from the outside looking in, it appears like you have to have that kind of attitude. But when you get in the door, those people that you see, you will see them for five minutes yeah, absolutely. and they're gone. Because nobody who's really stood the test of time mm-hmm. can bear to put up with that kind of behaviour for five minutes. But if they've seen you grinding it out and they're yeah. like, okay, here's somebody who's committed to it and who's like, let's help a brother out. Yeah, yeah, you know? totally. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and that, that, in as far as I know, I don't know if it still is, but that was always big in comedy. Mm. Justice. The injustice of that person not having an opportunity, I'm going to do something about it.
1: Yeah, because while there is enough pie for everybody, and particularly now I think because there are different ways for people to create their content like you can go and do podcasting or you can do your, write your book or whatever yeah. there are still a finite amount of jobs yep at least big high profile jobs where you could go okay this is me paying the mortgage for the next two months or two years at least getting while a contract mortgage is signed. you know
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> all the weird things i remember that was my first goal when i met dean buchanan who was group programmer of nova he was like what do you want to achieve michelle and i said oh, i'd like to buy a house yeah you know like yeah. it was impossible i'm yeah. a young comedian and I, I'm I'm behind in my rent. Mm. How would I ever be able to do that? Mm.
1: And also the idea that a lot of people see you on TV or radio, and it's true when you're in those you know gigs, they can be quite lucrative. But you're, just cause you just because you. Faces on the telly or your voices on the radio doesn't mean you're packing
0: a million dollars nah. a year into your backpack. No, the, and and Hughesy's made it so much more difficult for the rest of us. I mean, when he's buying the house on the block <laughs> yeah. for about three hundred thousand more than it's bloody worth, yeah, uh, everyone thinks we're all, yeah. you know. And I, I keep saying that to people, I'm not Husey, mate. Yeah,
1: yeah, splash of not. the cash. Yeah,
0: yeah, no. Nah. Um,
1: but I think that's also why, and Husey's a great example of God <laughs> only knows how he managed to do the project
0: and the brekky and, you know, piling on 700 jobs and just kept... Well, he lied on the ground a lot. (laughs) He did. He used to lay on the ground during songs. I remember that period of time, yeah. Yeah, comedy (laughs) festival, project, breakfast radio, yeah. Because there is
1: some time... I don't know about you, but have you ever felt like you could say no to a gig? This business, like, makes you feel like... I don't know whether you get to it... I feel like you get to it at a certain point where you're like, okay, now I can say no, but certainly in those... Grinding it out years. You're like, I I need to oh, work yeah. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay, because who knows when I'll ever get a job again. Yeah,
0: and then so suddenly you think, oh, great, I've got two hours off today. Yes. And suddenly <laughs> yeah. that just feels like a ho- a holiday in Fiji. It feels like <laughs> <Yeah>. so... <gasps> Oh, my God, this is so amazing. I'm just going to sit on this chair and look at the wall for two whole hours. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, I've been through those patches. Comedy Festival's a big one because, oh, yeah. you know, we, we tend to think oh, I should do that and so mm. that adds. But then I I, go, I I say no to things. I think I'm sometimes a bit free and easy with the no now. I've got to actually stop doing That's <laughs> that a though. bit. That's Yeah, yeah, but I've got to... Um, yeah, no, I'm not afraid of saying no. I just I just got to a point where I go, what's in it for me? And I don't mean that to be as mercenary as it sounds, but it's just like, you know, what, what's in it might mm. just be that they're, they're beautiful people and I want to see them. Mm. What's in it might be that um, it's a great cause. I'm not getting paid, but I really want to support them in some way. What's in it might be lots of money, even though it's a humiliating thing they want me to do. Yeah. Like, I have to be able to say there's something... There's a reason. Yeah, but it was amazing to me how often there was no reason. I'd sit down and go, Oh yeah, actually, do you know what? There is no reason for me to do this. And
1: there's also nothing worse when you're on telly in a gig or on the radio in a gig, and you're like, This is destroying myself. Oh, and God. I said yes to it just because I thought I couldn't say no. Yes. <laughs> yes, It's just the worst. You think this is ju- this is doing me more harm than good? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Do you think that part of that came with being a mum? Yeah, having kids and changing your priorities.
0: Yeah, but I mean that it didn't happen immediately. It's only just really happening now. It's just taking me a long time. Um, you know, I've those children have been without me a lot. Yeah, I've missed a lot of stuff. Mm. First days of school, concerts. I've missed a lot of stuff. So, I'm making the effort now to try and um, turn that around a bit. But yeah, that's a really difficult because I'm working for them as well. You know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah it's it's a really hard one to know again what's the reason mm. what's what's my priority what's more important do i need that money that badly maybe i don't Mm. this month okay yeah yeah. you know you've done brekkie radio
1: for a long time and now that you're not doing that show does are you kind of excited for the idea that because brekkie radio just takes over your whole life it really does yeah yeah
0: i'm so excited to not be doing it
1: yeah and also to if you feel like you've been missing from certain things in your kid's life like that's just par for the course when you're doing that because not only is it does it take up a lot of your time and your headspace but you're just sort of a zombie you're not really you
0: yeah I just said, yeah, um, the weeks just go so much longer now. Yes. It's so nice. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm really, really happy. I can never do those hours again. Yeah. I really can't. Yeah. I just, who knows what the future holds, but I know I can never do that again. And you're right. just takes up your whole life before you know it. 10 years has gone. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you
1: can feel like I have to do this. I have to be, I have to keep getting a contract. I've got to keep doing that. I did. And it's amazing when you actually step out and you go, I didn't blow up. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm still alive. So great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. It's, it's amazing. So wonderful. Because the business really does make you feel sometimes like yeah. you're not valid unless you have that contract and that, yes, I'll keep signing you. And, yes, we're and, – and also when you've done a certain job for a long time, you feel, oh, gosh, I think the only qualifications I have is that I can talk into a radio yeah. microphone every day. Absolutely. And this doesn't translate
0: anywhere else. And the truth is that it does. But you just yeah. get kind of caught up into that mentality. I hope it does. But also you get into a financial situation. Yeah. You know, you – I mean, most of us haven't made any money in our whole lives until we get to Breakfast Radio and suddenly mm. we're making a lot of money. So you think, I've got to catch up. Over the last two years, I prepared myself financially. I liquidated, <laughs> I, you know, just because I had investment pro- properties and I had all that stuff because I thought you, you should and that's what you're meant to do. And then I thought, no, I don't, that's just so complicated. I just want my house that I live in. That's all I need. So I really, and I got some savings You speak my language. I am
1: in that space right now. And it's, and I think the other, like I had one, when I got the contract out of the bad time where I thought, oh my gosh, I'll clean the toilets if you'll just pay me and I can stick around. I I spent that two years actively saving so that if this contract didn't continue, which it didn't, I was absolutely fine. Yeah. And it was the first time in my life that they actually called me up and I loved the show I was doing. I was devastated to not be working with the people I was working with anymore, but I was like,
0: Okay. Same, yes, yeah, same here, I know it's amazing, isn't it? What a feeling? just thought, yeah, I don't have to, I don't have to panic, yes, this is okay. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I feel like that was the most important lesson that I, and yeah. I wish I'd learned it earlier. Because up
0: until this point, absolutely every contract, mm-hmm. I just kept thinking every two years, I think, oh, well, that's it. I am yes. <laughs> if I don't get this, yeah. if for whatever reason they change their minds, I, we in a month, yeah, we're done. Yeah, we're done. We're finished. Yeah. 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 And you need
1: sometimes that time to actually go, okay, I don't have to take the next thing immediately yeah. because it might not be the right thing. Yeah. I can take some time to sit down and go, what exactly do I want to do right yeah. now? And
0: that's what I'm doing now. It's really you're right. It's just like, I've kind of done everything. Uh, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but I had achieved all the goals. I had done it, and then I was like, I've been so goal oriented since I was like four years old mm. on these very specific goals. Okay, now what? So the writing's really great. Going, to, I'm going to London tomorrow on a promotional trip for my books. Wow. Yeah, that's like dream come true
1: stuff. You know why that's also a dream come true because I remember watching a, an interview with you where you were talking about how you wanted to get better at writing and you were talking yes. about getting into a relationship with Beck Sparrow and mia Friedman and getting yes. mentoring and that kind of stuff. And having that moment where you don't think you're a writer and it's something you mm. want to do and you're like I don't have the skills, I don't have the ability. And then all of a sudden you're like I'm going on a book tour to London for that's the That's a the really book good point,
0: you know what? Because that would be 8 years ago when my children were babies and they've just turned eight. So like you're that's right. a huge measurement that yeah. you can actually see
1: that there was one point that I didn't even think I could ever yeah. do this and now all of a sudden I'm going on a book tour.
0: Yeah, you're right. Like that's you. really yeah, exciting. Yeah. It is exciting. Thank it's you awesome. for reminding me about that. Yeah.
1: So what do you think, I know we've got to wrap up because you've got to get into makeup for the proge mm. tonight. What do you What do you think the future looks? Is it Is it that stuff that you can have more control over the podcast, the writing? I hope
0: so. Mm. Yeah, I really do hope so. I'd love to work ABC radio. That's a dream oh, yeah of mine. You know, I'd love to be on 774 Melbourne just talking about Hamer Hall and things of that nature. <laughs> yeah, You know, it's just very grown up and dignified and that's what mm. I listen to and I grew I'm forty four, I'm too old for the kind of Kiss FMs oh, and yeah. good people, terrific no dramas, but I'm yeah, too but you, old. I mean, come on. Yeah, There's right. only so
1: long that you can be excited about, yeah, insert new artist here, Ariana yeah, Grande yeah. or whatever, like
0: <laughs> and and knocking back every interview you're ever offered because you don't know or care <laughs> yeah. about that person, you know? And then I flick onto the ABC and I'm like, Oh, I do want to know what's happening in Hamer Hall yes. or where you know, I do want to know grown up stuff and I heard Claire um, Bowditch do an interview with Manu once and it blew my mind because I've spoken to Manu, you know, 10 times or however long that show's been on. Same conversation every year for four minutes on Mm -hmm. commercial radio. Mm -hmm. Claire talks to him for an hour. I find out he wanted to be a circus performer. He went to circus school. He never wanted to be a chef, but there were no circus jobs. So he went and worked with his uncle. It was the most wonderful conversation. And I thought... That's what I want to do if I ever go back into radio. Yeah, something that gives you the space.
1: It's not like ah, oh, hurry up, we've got to go to an ad yeah, break. Yeah, <laughs> like... yeah. On a
0: daytime shift. Yep. Not morning. Yep. Something like that. But uh, let's hope I just sell five million books and just buy and a house it. at the beach, and that's it. That's See ya. it. See
1: ya, yeah. check you guys. Um, what do you think is the best and the worst thing about the industry?
0: The best is the people. It's no people like show people. I believe that. I love people in the industry. And very few periods I've spent out of the industry I really missed that. Mm. Missed our conversations. I missed our gossip. I missed knowing what was going on over there behind the scenes when no one else knew. Oh, worst. Gosh, (laughs) so many. Yeah. (laughs) Where do we begin? (laughs) Where do I begin? Oh, I I can't. No, but honestly, I can't really pick one. I I really love it. I really love this business. Mm. I love it. I love the people. I love the ups and downs. I love the possibility, the potential. No matter how low I get, I know that something exciting is just around the corner. There's a phone call just around the corner from my agent. There's an email. Something will pop up, something exciting that I never thought of. Buddhism has done the world a good year, is, it has, hasn't it? it has, yes. um,
1: right, we're finishing up with this is the final five questions. First one, your biggest regret?
0: Don't have any. Good.
1: That's great. I'm done. Hey, done. Finished. Your dream gig million selling writer I like
0: writing cuz i can do it alone.
1: <laughs> yeah. that yes. interesting a lot of people cuz i love being by myself yeah. and that's one of the things i find most surprising that most surprises people who don't mm, aren't in the business is how many of those of us that work in it just don't want to go to a party and talk to people oh, don't want no. just like want solitude and they're like but you're so chatty and it's like but that's your job. Yeah. And it gets to the point where you're like i'm having those friday night conversations in my work every single day yes. so when it gets to Friday night I'm like go away yeah everybody. I know
0: <laughs> I, I don't want to Limo yes Limo really is that nice yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carrie, Carrie's great she's a lovely person <laughs> yep 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 <laughs> Rove really is short. Yep. yep Same yep, yep. questions.
1: Mm-hmm. A big idea you've, that you've yet to get up. Have you got, I mean, you don't have to give us the exact idea, but is it podcasts oh, for lots. you? Is it?
0: No. I mean, I love kind of documentary television. Mm. Louis Theroux is my idol. Oh, yeah. I named my son after him. So I, I have this idea. I I'd still love to get up. That's uh, about like, uh, what would you call them? Like tribes. You know, people—just people, ordinary people—doing interesting things. Like, I got really obsessed with military reenactors for a while. Oh, it's wow. so fascinating. Just, just people with normal jobs, normal people, and on the weekend they dress up as like. Um, German soldiers and then you dress up as English soldiers and then we'll just go bush bashing around the Gold Coast hinterland I love this and pretend stuff. to be in World War 2 Isn't stuff. that fun? It's fantastic. So I, I, I've i always wanted to do a series following people's interesting lives. That's that, that living way. your best life. Their hobbies. You yeah. Know, that's living your best life. They've got tanks, you know, they bring tanks from Europe. Oh. <laughs> it's amazing. I'll just, can I just come and hold a boom <laughs> mic or
1: something? <laughs> like, I'll come along. Yeah. Um, if you weren't doing this, as in working in a media, what would you be doing? Nothing this is it
0: this is it I mean uh maybe I'd like to think I'd be working with animals whenever I see animals I go god I'm an idiot why aren't (laughs) I a zookeeper?" and now it's too late maybe working with animals um and finally your advice to people wanting to get into the business just keep working and chipping away and I know believe me I was a kid in Toowoomba I knew no one in the business you just chip away, you meet a person, another person, another person, you get your tribe, you get your crew, and you just keep working. Be the hardest working person. That can never be a bad thing.
1: Michelle, I'm so glad that I finally got Me to too. sit down across from you. Thank you so much Thank for you. your time.
0: Thanks for listening to You've Gotta Start Somewhere. Thanks. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes, and keep up to date, head to You've Gotta Start Somewhere.com.
1: Thanks so much for joining me for my chat with Michelle Laurie, who I am keeping my fingers and toes crossed, will become the multi-million dollar selling author that she deserves to be. A big shout out to you too if you have left a review for the show. I got a little one from Shampers Kath. Either your last name is Shampers, or that was a reference to the fact that you do like a bit of the bubbly. Also, Burn Kylie, who I think you've just, it's probably Kylie Burn, I'm guessing, and Hayley B565. I don't know what that means. I really appreciate you taking the time to put your thoughts about the show down. It really does help other people find it, and when they do find it, to realise that it's not shit. <laughs> so this is always lovely. So thank you so much. I know it can be a bit of a punish doing that, and it's an extra step in the process, but it is very very much appreciated. Next week on the show I'm chatting to Natasha Belling. You have probably seen her on the telly because she's been on it for over two decades and we chat about cultivating her newsreader voice and how she manages to do it without sounding like she's got a stick up her bum. Well, I think a lot of us put on the newsreader hat. I well, but you're pretty good. You everybody that I've worked with news like you don't seem like you're doing newsreader tash. You should hear how I speak to my sons. <laughs> I can only imagine. In your room now. There will be details after the break. I hope you'll join me for that chat next week on You've Got to Start Somewhere.